Hi, this is Father Simon, your friend in cyberspace. I hope you can enjoy one of our favorite shows of the past year, and I hope that you and your family have a very Merry Christmas and a truly blessed New Year. I'm here to answer your questions. Have a question? Give us a call. 1-888-914-9149. It has any question you may have about the Lord, the faith, and the church. That's 1-888-914-9149. This is, in fact, a radio show called Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio. Hello. It's the feast of Sister Teresa Benedicta. Who, who is it? Benedetta or Benedicta? Uh, who uh, is well known as Edith Stein. So uh, 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 it's a controversial feast. I don't know why, but it is. Oh, I suppose I know why. But um, the voice might just ask, why is it controversial? Because um, a lot of people feel that. Um, you know, they don't like uh, people to take the focus off the Jewish victims of the Holocaust and to have canonized a uh, a victim of the Holocaust. She died, on the, I think, on the way to Auschwitz um, and to make her a martyr. And uh, um, the Catholic saint uh, is offensive to them. But these are people who probably get out of bed in the morning looking for something to be angry about. Um uh, you know, that, that uh, um, she was a great philosopher who thought herself into Catholicism. And um, uh, she said as she and her sister were taken off, also a convert to Catholicism, um, she said, uh, let us die for our people. And uh, the Jews are Catholics. Well, it could be both. At any rate, so that's why it's controversial, dear voice in my head. But I don't want to go there because it's a wonderful feast. And it makes me think of Dr. Al Shorsh, who was a dear, who was, and I suppose still is in the Lord, a dear friend of mine, um, who had a great devotion uh, to St. Edith, Sister Teresa, St. Sister Teresa. All right, let's pray. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your spirit, they shall be created, and you shall renew the face of the earth. O Lord, you taught the hearts of the nations by the light of the Holy Spirit. Grant us by that same spirit to have right judgment in all things, and evermore to rejoice in his comfort through Christ our Lord. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Saint Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Well, all right, let's open the big book on the coffee table. Quite a few couple readings today. The first reading is not, I'm not going to go into it much, but it's kind of interesting. Uh, as for you, son of man, obey me when I speak to you. Open your mouth and eat what I shall give you. And he saw a hand stretched out uh, in which a written scroll was unrolled before me. It's kind of interesting because that eating of a scroll motif occurs a number of times in the Bible. Let me just pull this up. I think it is also in the, um, oh, hold on. Uh, 
it's in the uh, um, book of Revelation. I, you don't have to play the weighty music yet. Uh, I saw a scroll in the right hand of the one seated on the throne, it writing on both sides, and was sealed with seven seals. Uh, um, there we go. That's the, the scroll motif. Uh, but I think also, let me let me back up here. It's 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 um. There's also a, 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 a motif that uh, I ate the scroll and it was sweet in my mouth, but bitter in my stomach. That's kind of interesting, isn't it? Um, the the scroll is 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 both sweet and bitter. So uh, that's true of of the Word of God because uh, you know it's 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 kind of the Word of God. Don't forget is a double-edged sword. So. Uh, let's get back to the reading here. So that's something that, that links the book of Revelation to this visionary book of Ezekiel. Um, then uh, um, it's interesting that it was written on both sides. We see that in the, in the uh, text from the book of Revelation, that this was written on both sides. And that's kind of interesting. That's something that you usually didn't do. I mean, scrolls were very hard to to, to deal with. Uh, Christianity might not have invented the book uh, called the co- we call a book. The the early name for book was a codex. Uh, um, that uh, we might not have invented it, but we if we didn't invent it, we certainly popularized it because we wanted to be able to carry the holy books around with us. And scrolls were written only on one side. If you wrote on both sides the scroll, you were trying to save money and you had a lot to say and you didn't have enough uh, enough scroll on which to say it. So you, you wrote the front of the scroll and the back of the scroll. It's very hard to find things in scrolls. You know, it's like people have asked, why, why don't we say a reading from the Gospel of John, chapter 6, verse 22? We don't put the verse and, and the, 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 the chapter in. That's because we've been reading it since before there were chapter and verse. Uh, chapters didn't come into the scripture until, oh, at least 200 years after Christ. And uh, verses didn't come in until the mid-16th century, about 1550, in the Geneva Bible published by the Calvinists uh, of, of Geneva. So, so this idea of scrolls, you know, it's, we're still dealing with it's about an inch down in the scroll. Uh, that's, that's a kind of difficult thing to do, but very early on in, in the Christian era, people found, well, you could save money by writing on both sides of a sheet of paper. And if you just didn't sew the the sheets together and just sort of stack them and put them between two wooden covers, they preserved well. And it was much easier to find. You could put a bookmark in there and find where you'd been. So I, I don't know if that's interesting to you, but it's very interesting to me that this idea of writing on both sides of the scroll, there's something, there's meaning in that, both in the letter, uh, the book of Ezekiel and the book of Revelation. Uh, and the meaning is that, that, that there's a lot to say, it's urgent, and um, we're using every resource. So I think that's kind of interesting. Well, let's go on to the gospel. Oi, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Again, when you read this, it is so, I, maybe I'm wrong about this. I, I really, I, I'm willing to admit that, that I am not really much of a scholar, but I just don't believe that the kingdom of heaven refers primarily or exclusively to heaven when you die. That's paradise. 
the walled garden in which we walk with the king uh, as friends. The idea, again, I tell you this to really, to, is there a day I don't talk about the kingdom? Well, I, I suppose I shouldn't feel too bad because Jesus talked about it a lot. But the kingdom, the word basilea, I maintain, means royal nature. Basilea, it is the, the uh, state of being a king. Just like paranoia is the state of being paranoid. That I-A ending at the end of Greek words uh, conveys that meaning. So who is the greatest in God's royal nature? And so he called over a child. In other words, they're asking again, who is the greatest in what God is like? I, I almost think that when you see kingdom of God or, or, or a kingdom of heaven, because heaven and God are interchangeable as words in the text, you can almost, not always, but you can almost always say it means the nature of God or what God is like. Who is greatest in what God is like? And he called the child over, you know. Um, I remember hearing a story about, about a, a great preacher. A great, he was a great uh, theologian and a great scientist. And he was giving a lecture at a prominent university in his old age. And in the question and answer period, someone asked, Doctor, Reverend Doctor, in your long life of study and prayer, what have you learned about God? And the old man thought and he said, God is inordinately fond of beetles. <laughs> beetles are the largest, uh, a large, we don't think of them as large, but they're not microscopic. Uh, they're, they're a large life form. They're visible to the naked eye. And uh, um, this, this, this idea of, of, of a beetle, well, the largest category of, of, of visible life apparently are beetles. You have so many kinds of them. I thought about this and I thought, God is really, you know, this, everyone says the universe, this vast universe full of stars and galaxies and, and, um, uh, the amazing structure of the universe. We simply can't be alone in it. I have no idea. I have no idea at all. Um, however, God being inordinately fond of beetles, there is something about God that is like a six-year-old child. If you give a six-year-old an anthill and a stick, at least in the old days, before the dominance of the screens, if you gave a child an anthill and a stick, that kid was good for the afternoon at poking it, looking at those ants. Fascinating. God <laughs> looks at beetles and like a six-year-old says, cool. I mean, boy, six-year-old boy or girl, they're not different in that regard, really. They're, they're fascinated by, by nature. And I really believe that God, the scripture says he's made all these things for his pleasure. And I really think that the pleasure of God, the joy that he had in creating, is sufficient reason for the universe. He created us in order to adopt us. But I think he, I think the universe in which he has placed us is pure art on his on his part so what is god like he's like a little child i mean i say to you unless you turn and become like children you can't and the word is pavion which means a little child you will not enter into god's royal inheritance you will not enter the kingdom of god whoever becomes humble like this child 
is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, and whoever receives one such child as this in my name receives me. Now that's the second theme of the day. I want to take care of this like a little child. Humble. Whoever becomes humble like this child, not innocent. If you are a parent, you know that children are not innocent, anything but. Thank God they're small, and you can keep them from getting into real trouble. Uh, children, I remember I was at a family gathering, and I was sitting under the shade of a tree reading the Bible, and uh, all of the, the little nephews and nieces were playing on the lawn. And I thought, Lord, thank you for this example of, of what I'm reading, that, that uh, you know, you have to be like a little child. And I see these little children playing on the lawn and uh, the innocence and the beauty. One of the children then picked up a plastic fire truck and bonked another child on the head. And I thought, Lord, what are you trying to tell me? And the simple truth is the children aren't innocent. They are dependent on on their on their on their mother and father it's their dependence and their humility that they're not important in the eyes of the world but they're very important in your eyes mom dad you know that that we all worry about am i doing enough to go to heaven no you're not i'll promise you that now now i'm not going to say that good works are not necessary for salvation good works are 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 indispensable in the process of being conformed to the image of Christ, which is necessary for being adopted by God. Remember, God doesn't just want us to go to heaven. He wants to adopt us as his sons and daughters. And in order to be adopted, we have to look like Jesus. And Jesus was filled with good works. So good works are necessary in the process of being conformed to Christ. And that process is necessary for eternal salvation. All right, that said, I'm never going to do enough to get to heaven. But you know why I'm going to get to heaven if I get to heaven? Because God loves me. And I said yes to his love. Now, when I sin, I say no. But if I, if I continually say yes to his love and stay in a state of grace, in a state of his gift, then I can be morally assured of heaven. We believe that one can have a moral assurance of salvation in the Catholic Church. So I think that's a very important thing to understand. Not not an absolute assurance, but a moral, what we call a moral assurance. Um, uh, oh, that's another another theme I'd love to touch on. There's so much in this. So this idea of the humility of children, the smallness and the unimportance of children is is very, very important. You know, in, in the letter to the Hebrews, uh, we read that without faith... It is impossible. You can hear me clicking away. I want to get the exact citation. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Uh, that is in Hebrews, the 11th chapter, the 6th verse. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. In other words, if you don't think this is true, if, you're, if you doubt your... No! Remember what I tell you faith means? Without trust, it is impossible to please God. We please God by trusting him. And when we do what he tells us, as in the first reading, eat this because I'm telling you to eat it. When we please God by trusting him, or when we trust God, we, we obey him and please him. Uh, the, the theme of trust and obedience is huge in the letter of the Hebrews. Son though he was, he learned obedience through what he suffered. Without trust, it's impossible to please God. God chooses to be called our father. And you know, there comes a day in the life of every parent, a horrible day, when those little 
angels who you have spent your life loving stop trusting you. When they're little, you get the coat and say, we're going in the car. You put the coat out, one hand goes up, the other hand goes up. But then the day comes, where are we going? What do you mean, where are we going? We're going out. We're going to the store. Well, I, I had something I want to do, Mom. I have some, I have some friends coming. Or, or this one. Uh, where are you going? Why do you ask? I just, I'm your parent. I, I'd like to know where you're going. You don't trust me. Oh, no, child. It's you who don't trust me. There comes a day when we stop trusting our parents. And that day is a painful, horrible day. With a little bit of blessing and a lot of God's grace, we start to trust our parents again, usually when we're about 30 and have difficult children of our own. But without faith, without trust, it is impossible to please God. And that's the, the essence of being like a child. You know, see that you don't despise one of these little ones. Oh, there's so much more in this reading uh, to talk about the lost sheep. Um, that's how precious you are to God. This is the nature of God. That that I remember thinking, well, you have 99 sheep. It's spring. There'll be more sheep soon. And I talked to an actual shepherd. He said, oh, no, you don't lose sheep. Sheep are very, very valuable. You know, you, if you go out and get that difficult sheep. Um, sheep are very valuable. And that's the way God looks at you. You are his valued child whom he loves. And we can agonize over whether we're holding up, whether we're saying the prayer right, whether we're doing this right, whether we're getting the indulgence properly. Those are all things to think about and to try to strive to do our best at. But the most important thing is that we remember God loves us more than we can imagine. He loves you more than you can imagine. God has for you, St. Paul says, more than you can possibly ask or imagine. And I spend my life in worry and concern um, instead of enjoying this wonderful fact that this whole beautiful universe made by that God who thinks it's cool is a beautiful thing that he gives to me because he loves me. So remember, more than anything, that God loves you. The one who made you, the Almighty, loves, made you because he loves you. Uh, no matter what you've done, no matter who you are, no matter how much you dislike yourselves or other people dislike you, the one who made you made you because he loves you and you can trust him. All right, let's go to uh, a break. We'll come back with letters. I've got some doozies. And uh, we'll open the phones at 888-914-9149. We receive hundreds of your phone calls every day thanks to the Catholic Order of Foresters studio line. Our sponsor offers flexible life insurance and annuities. Visit relevantradio.com slash Forrester today. An Illinois Life Insurance Society not available in all states. I'm back in the saddle again Out where a friend is a friend Where the longhorn cattle feed on the Well, hello. 
Goodness. Goodness, goodness. What am I... Oh, back in the... No, I guess. Well... <sighs> you know, in the readings today, I was looking, and also, I think there's a line that should cause us great pause. Um, whoever receives one such pedion is the word, which means a little child. It can mean an infant. In my name receives me. You know, we talk about, you know, the things are bad and what's going on in the country and well when you reject children <laughs> you reject christ and when you jesus said he who rejects me sent the one who sent rejects the one who sent me you know when you say in your life where is god well that's not the right question the right question is where am i am i near him you know, where I am, there will my followers be. He doesn't say where my followers are, there will I be. Quite the opposite. Where I am, there will my followers be. We go to Calvary. He doesn't, uh, it's funny, Jesus is the healer of souls. But I don't know that he does house calls. <laughs> I, I'm being facetious, of course. He says, um, behold, I stand at the door and knock. He he, he enters in. But, but you get the point I'm trying to make, that... To say, well, you, Lord, you have to conform to my theology, or you have to conform to my morality, you have to conform to my uh, opinions. Eh, God doesn't work that way. That is not God's royal nature. All right, enough with that. Let us go to letters. Oh, and don't forget, call in early. Um, uh, 888-914-9149 <laughs> call early and often that's the Chicago voting uh, motto let's see where was I um, uh, I talked about this one last night about the the rainbow clothing alright let's see here what is this one um, alright uh, my questions pertain to confession they are based on a true story can you still receive communion if you're unable to do your penance before Mass begins? I did receive. Yes, you can. Um, you need to complete your penance, but you don't have to... If if, if uh, I know of no rule that says you must... That absolution is conditional on the, on the uh, uh, fulfilling of your penance. If you willfully don't fulfill your penance, well, that's different. But if you forget, if there's a time constraint and you put it off... Uh, you're still absolved. Uh, it isn't. It is as far as I understand. And again, if I'm wrong, I would like to be um, uh, corrected. But only willful refusal to uh, fulfill one's penance uh, is is um, is is um, uh, culpable. Uh, pen penances can be commuted. You know, if, if you find you're unable to do a penance uh, for some reason, next time you go to confession, tell your confessor that, and he may give you a different penance. For instance, if you were supposed to walk to a certain shrine and uh, you broke your foot, uh, <laughs> are you expected to hobble to that shrine on a broken foot? No, the penance can be commuted. So that's the first part of the question. At one point when confessing my sins, the priest asked if there was anyone else. I continued. He went into a... He went into signing my penance when I wasn't done confessing. I didn't want to interrupt. 
Should I have done so? Or well, yeah, it's always good to interrupt the clergy. We 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 go elsewhere sometimes in our minds. Uh, should I have done so? Are those sins uh, I still needed to confess be absolved? Yes, those you received absolution. Those sins that he didn't allow you to confess are absolved. If any of them were mortal sins, you should mention them in your next confession. Uh, but um, certainly, all any any penitential act forgives venial sins. Uh, and um, you were absolved, uh, and through no fault of your own, uh, you failed uh, to say to get get all your sins mentioned. But uh, you're, you're at the absolution still applies to those. Uh, it would come under the same rubric of you're forgetting some sins. Uh, you're absolved if you genuinely forgot those sins. However, your next confession, if they were mortal sins, you should say them. And you don't have to if they weren't mortal sins. So. Um, he did say after he needed to get ready for Mass, so maybe going right into my penance was what he did in a way of moving things along. Yes. You know, I, a little a little note to penitence. You know, you get in a confession, you say, Father, when a confession starts that way, I often wonder how penitent the, the penitent is. Where do I begin? This isn't therapy. Confession is not therapy. It is the recognition of your sins, the admitting of them, that's what confess means, and the receiving of absolution and penance. Do not mistake confession for therapy or even spiritual direction. Confession can be part of spiritual direction, but it is not in itself spiritual direction. And if you have a line of 20 people out there and you decide you're going to take a half an hour confession, starting with when you were seven years old, um, I would say that that's really inconsiderate, especially if you see a long line of penitents behind you at a confessional line. Make your confession as short as possible. I robbed three banks. I blew up two trains. Um, and I'm really sorry. And I ask penance and pardon of you, Father. That's not the way people do it. I robbed three banks. But you know why I robbed three banks, Father? God will forgive any sin, but in all of human history, he has never once forgiven an explanation. So uh, there you go. Uh, it is a virtue to be kind to those people who are standing out there for a half an hour while you end up feeling good about yourself uh, in confession. I'm being a little blunt and a little crabby. Um, I wasn't crabby enough in the first 20 minutes, so I'm making up for it. All right, that's just a thought on confession. I hope I'm not being too too mean. All right, let's see. I got one here. Um, all right. Uh, my husband and I listened to a podcast on relevant radio. It's really been a blessing. We uh, both wondered aloud why during the prayers they say, St. Joseph, my Father and my Lord. That's the 10 minutes with Jesus. Uh, we never heard St. Joseph called that. Before. It's kind of an archaic title for St. Joseph. Remember the word Lord is a, a, a kind of all-purpose word. Um, the, um, uh, um, the word Herr in German, H-E-R-R, -R, means Lord or Mister. The word Señor in Spanish means Lord or Mister. 
<laughs> I think that's pretty funny. Lord or Mister? Um, I had a friend who was a second-generation non-practicing uh, Presbyterian. In other words, he didn't believe. He thought, "Nah, okay, I'm Presbyterian. I don't believe in any stuff." But, well, he went to a Spanish mass. He was visiting me, and I was saying Spanish mass, and he got there early, and and uh, he went to the Spanish mass. I was saying, he said, "Oh, he spoke some Spanish uh, fairly well," and he said, "Oh, it was very nice, very nice." But why did you keep calling him Mister Jesus? I said, "What? Yeah, you kept calling him Mister Jesus." Oh. The word Señor, if I say to you, Señor González, I mean in English, Mr. González, where does the word Mr. come from? It's kind of a mispronunciation in English of the word Master. Uh, um, but Señor, it means Lord in Spanish. So uh, uh, it's a it's an honorific title that, that no, you know, you would call, uh, if you're into monarchy, uh, you might call... Uh, some titled person in England who is a duke, my lord, uh, I guess in Africa, bishops, I don't know if they still are called that, but they used to be called my lord, uh, especially in English-speaking colonies. So if you can call a bishop lord, you certainly, uh, the Lord Mayor of London sort of thing, St. Joseph can certainly be called uh, lord. In other words, we're assigning nobility to him. And he was uh, from an aristocratic family. Down on their luck, maybe, but they were the Davidic family. So the title of lord, Lord Joseph, would have been most appropriate. So this is an archaic, it's an archaic prayer, and that's why the prayer calls him, it's a prayer spoken in archaic English, that prayer, particular prayer to St. Joseph. And that's why the word lord is used in there. I, I hope that's fun. Okay, I, I'm going to have a, a fairly longish word of the day. Let me see if I've got any other uh any other no let's go to a break we'll come back with a word of the day we're a little early but that's not a bad thing Is this a religious show? I'm not sure. <laughs> Paul Bunyan? Okay. Well, that's, that's, I think, actually, um, uh, don't we have a new station in Seattle? I think, I think we do. So this is most appropriate. Welcome, Seattle. Uh, isn't, isn't the Northwest Territories, aren't those Paul Bunyan territories? Didn't, didn't, uh, he... Uh, establish that or something? I, I don't know the, my, my American mythology, no but I just know he had a big blue ox. All right. Well, also, speaking of big blue oxes, I wanted to remind you that that um, we're providing a service at, at Relevant Radio, and the question is asked, are you among the 71% of Americans who don't have a will or have an outdated will? Uh, Relevant Radio is partnered with Free Will to provide you with an easy and intuitive online service to create your will at absolutely no cost. Uh, you can do it in about 20 minutes, so go to RelevantRadio.com slash Free Will. It's RelevantRadio.com slash Free Will. Um, it's a good thing to do because if you die intestate, as they call it, that is without a will, well, the government gets involved, and we all know that politicians, well, to quote... The song from Man of La Mancha, we're only thinking of you. All right, <laughs> moving along. 
I'm a bit cynical about that. Oh, by the way, I think we have a lot of... Oh, word of the day, that's it. We have, Don't we have a lot of lines open, dear voice in my head? Plenty, plenty of, of lines, lines open. open. 881... No, 888-914-9149. That's 888-914-9149. And the word of the day actually is a response to uh, a letter I got from a Father Mike, who I'm honored to know listens. Um, he asked about the difference between Syrians and Assyrians. And people constantly get that confused. You say Syrian, then I'm Syrian, I'm, I'm Syrian Orthodox. Oh, you're a Syrian Orthodox. No, I'm Syrian Orthodox. What, 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 what? You know, this Syrian, Assyrian, you say Syrian, I say Assyrian. Let's call the whole thing off. Now, I'm going to ex explain this, um, and we're end going to end up, again, I'm sorry, but we're going to end up blaming the Greeks, pre-Christian Greeks, not, not the Greeks of today. All right. Um, the, uh, uh, the Syria and Assyria are two different um, places, and they, they have something in common. They both... Uh, are Aramaic speaking uh, um, peoples, <laughs> Semitic peoples. Uh, let us refresh. There is a, a, a Semitic language family which has the Assyrian dialects in it, of which there are a number. Um, uh, the uh, Chaldean would be a, a large uh, Aramaic speaking group. Uh, the Hebrew is uh, West Semitic dialect. Um, Egyptian has a lot of Semitic in it, as does Ethiopian. Uh, Egyptian, the Coptic language, the ancient language of Egypt. So there are a, a couple more. Um, uh, there's Tigrinya and Amharic, which are, and of course, Arabic. These are all Semitic uh, languages uh, from the Semitic language family. Uh, but Aramaic kind of gives it away that at the time of the patriarchs, there was no place called Syria. There was Aram, which essentially centered around uh, Damascus. Uh, it, it was an area that, that kind of centered around Damascus. Damascus would have been a capital of Aram and uh, southeastern Turkey, northwestern uh, uh the, the northwestern areas of of syria well yeah the northwestern areas of and the western areas of syria those would have been called aram and the language aramaic comes from that people the assyrians that comes from the word ashur the the they they are located in what we would today call northern iraq and, and some in Iran, and they were, again, a Semitic-speaking people, and they their capital was Nineveh. You see in the book of Jonah, the Ninevites, those were Assyrians, uh, and uh, they also spoke uh, a, a dialect of the Semitic language Aramaic. Now, the ones who... who fought with uh, um, Pekah, king of Judea, or king of Israel, and uh, uh, um, uh, those sections of scripture, those were Syrians. 
the Assyrians came in, a mighty conquering arm, uh, army, and established a great empire, and uh, they they were the ones who uh, um, took over the kingdom of, of Israel. So, I don't know if that helps at all, but when you see Syrian uh, and Assyrian, they are two different people. Ashur is, a, a, I believe, a, a place name uh, that applies to the Assyrians. Now, so how did this? The, how did it get changed from Aram to Syria? Well, this is where we blame the Greeks. The Greeks, <laughs> people, people would meet someone and say, "Oh yeah, they're, they're those Assyrian people." What? He's Assyrian? Uh, yeah, he's Assyrian. You mean Syrian? No, that's where the confusion began. It began with Alexander the Great and his conquest of that part of the world. Uh, interesting. The Greeks, they, they call Greece Hellas, and the Greeks are the Hellenes. Well, why do we call them Greeks? Because there was one little tribe in the northwest. The, the Romans, the Italians decided, oh, we'll call them Greeks from this little tribe of Greki. So people get confused, and once you get a confused word in the language, it's really hard to get it out. So now you know the difference between Syrian and Assyrian. I hope you'll sleep better tonight. Let's go to phone calls, dear voice in my head. Sien is ringing. Whom do we... Irene from San Antonio, what can I do for you? Father, I really enjoy your program every day. Well, thank you. Uh, thank and you. I have a question. Uh, could you give me some uh, advice or some... Uh, hope to live. Oh. I, I'm 99 years old. I'll be okay. 100 in just a few months. And Wonderful. I find that I just uh, uh, I just have lost my my zeal for uh, for life, you know? I feel like I've yeah. seen it all, done it all, and I'm ready for God to call me home. But sure. he doesn't seem to think so. I had uh, pneumonia and um, uh, the flu all at the same time. Mm -hmm. For a 99-year-old, that's uh, almost a death warrant. Oh, yeah. But he healed me, yes. And I'm, I'm here to testify that, you know, I'm just as well as I could be. And I, I just thought maybe you could give me some advice. Well, I'll try. We read in Romans, the 14th chapter, the 8th verse. If we That's Romans 14, 8. If we live, we live for the Lord. And if we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For some reason of his own. Uh, not for your sake, but for someone else's sake. God is keeping you here. And you don't think that your presence here is very important, but there's someone here who may need to know you yet or hear about your faith, even though you don't have that zeal for living, as you call it, but your testimony of a hundred years of belonging to God may mean something special. You see, we're the slaves of the Lord, and he, he doesn't want to retire you yet. You may feel retired for many years, but the Lord has a reason for you to be here. So, you just say, Lord, okay, there you go. Does that help a little? 
Yes, that's uh, that's uh, the the way I am. And uh, relevant radio is uh, my lifeline to the uh, church because oh. we have no religious services. I can't get to mass oh. or, or receive oh. communion, things like that. So yeah. I really depend on relevant radio. I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. Well, it's such an honor to be of service to you. It really is. Um, you know that 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 maybe that's one of the reasons that you're still here is to to help people to realize that that they have a lifeline to the wider church even when they don't feel they do. So God bless you, and I will be praying for you. And I would ask you to pray for me and for Relevant Radio and all those who listen. All right. All right, Father. Thank you so much. God bless you, and thanks so much for calling. Wow, that was a phone call. Wow. So, yeah, that um, Romans fourteen eight. If we live, we live for the Lord. If we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. 888-914-9149. 888-914-9149. Ooh, I'm looking out my window. There's, there's Japanese beetles attacking my petunias. They're beautiful Japanese beetles. I was there. Lord, I know you like beetles, but must they attack my petunias? All right, moving along. Anna Marie, have, are you with us? Yes, I am. Anna Maria. Maria. Thank you for taking my call. I'm yes. honored to. What um, can I do for you? <laughs> well, we're, I'm representing a group of ladies, uh, a Bible study group from San Marcos, mm-hmm. from Our Lady of Wisdom. And we're studying mm-hmm. the consecration of St. Joseph. We came to the mm-hmm. chapter where it says that he, that St. Joseph decided to divorce her quietly, and yes. uh, as in Matthew 14. And, and we were wondering if there's another version of a Bible uh, that's an earlier version, perhaps, that would uh, not say the word divorce, but actually separate well. or... or what do you think? We are going to look it up in Greek. That's the earliest version. Okay. Okay. All right. Matthew one nineteen. Um, th- it is a very interesting verse, actually. Um, mm-hmm. The uh, because he was a just man. The word in Greek is dikaios, but in Hebrew, I think I've shared this with you. The word tzaddik means a righteous man. If you're a tzaddik, that's the, if a Jew calls you a tzaddik, uh, that's the highest compliment they can pay you. That means a man who is, whose good deeds outweighs bad deeds and he reflects the nature of God. That's a just man. But being a tzaddik, being a just man and not willing to expose her publicly. Now, the word just, when we think of just, the law says stoner, so stoner. That's justice. That's not the Hebrew concept of justice. The Hebrew concept of justice, I believe, is to reflect the nature of God. The just man, the one who is justified, is the one who's conformed to the image of God. And a central part of God's image is his generosity and his mercy. So Joseph was a godly man and did not want her to be punished. So he, he purposed secretly to release her. That's what the word really means, apolusa. It means to, to, to set free, to release. In other words, to release her from her promise of marriage. They weren't married yet. They were, they were, um, they were engaged. Uh, so you can translate the word, he decided to, to release her in secret. 
to give her her to to dissolve the the contract of engagement. So um, you can use that word to give her her freedom. Uh, you know, and that might be resented by some people. What do you mean, give her her freedom? She's just getting married. Well, anybody who's married, no, you lose a lot of freedom when you marry man or woman. But he he decided to 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 release her from her contract. Does that sound better? That that does, and and that that just sort of in our chapter. Uh, my question was, how come Matthew used the word divorce, or is that just a new American no, no, he doesn't. Bible that's translation? Just, that's just the translation. He doesn't use the word divorce. Now, this word would have been used uh, for divorce, but the, con- the the idea is to release someone from a contract. Marriage was a contract, not necessarily a covenant. Divorce was allowed, what we call divorce, but... but uh, uh, releasing releasing her from the from from her contract of marriage, and it would have been releasing her parents from their obligations in that contract too. So you know, marriage was thought of as this kind of relationship between families, not just a contract between two people or a covenant between two people. These were not love matches; these were familial arranged marriages, which were common most in most of the world until fairly recently. So, so uh, she was released from her contract. That's that's what the word was. Now, when we think of divorce, we think of this big argument and lawyers and you can't stand each other, all that sort of thing. Um, that that in the ancient world, <laughs> the problem was easily solved by things like stoning to death. She cheated on me, stoner. Uh, men could be stoned to death too for adultery. They just had to get caught. So, uh, you know, it was as, as many places and times, not an absolutely fair system. However, the word in Greek is to release. He decided to release her secretly. So I hope that helps. Original word. And the new yep, the, American translation the, is a problem. Yes, yes. The translation is always a problem. If you could read it in Greek, okay. you would see that, that divorce was different in the ancient world from what it is now. And it involved being released from a contract. That was, that was the idea. So I hope that helps. Yes, it does, because we're looking at a possible problem of translation um, yeah, that originally it must have been something else, and, and it got into translated into a, the well, word Well, it's a beautiful, a beautiful thing about St. Joseph. He didn't want her to be, he didn't want her killed. He could have had her killed, but being a godly yeah. man, he decided to, to let her go secretly, privately. So I hope that yeah. helps. All right. Yeah. Well, God bless. We're, we're all falling in love with St. Joseph over here. Well, that's a good thing. He's a great guy. <laughs> we love him at that relevant radio. All right. Whom do we have now, dear voice in my head? Joe from Minnesota. What can I do for you? Hi, Father. I was wondering about Simon the Cyrenian, how he had the yes. unique gift to help Jesus with his cross. Yeah. Do you know anything more about him? Well, it is very interesting because um, the the uh, uh, he's mentioned again in Scripture. Um, his sons were were pretty prominent in the early church. Apparently, uh, um, he was uh, from he was somehow associated with probably from uh, a province in in northern Africa in Libya 
and there was a huge Jewish community there, about 100,000 uh, uh, Judeans had settled there, had been forced to settle there by Ptolemy, and it was an early center of Christianity. And uh, in Mark, the 15th chapter, the 21st verse, he's identified as the father of Alexander and Rufus. And so the early Christian community knew his sons well, not just him, Alexander and Rufus. They were early missionaries. Um, they were kind of important uh, in the, apparently in the early Christian community in Rome. So uh, also Rufus may have been mentioned by St. Paul in his letter to the Romans uh, in the 16th chapter. Uh, and he uh, is probably the son of Simon of Cyrene. Uh, so, um, uh, we also hear about the men of Cyrene who preached the gospel to the Greeks in Acts, the 11th chapter. So we know quite a bit about him. And interestingly, in 1941, uh, uh, there was a, a, uh, a burial cave, a tomb belonging to Cyrenaean Jews. And there is an, an ossuary, which means a, a bone box. You see what the Jews did? They laid the body out on a slab, and then they would come back later, maybe a year later, and the body would be all decayed, and they would take the bones, and they would put it in an ossuary or a stone bone box and bury it in a niche in the tomb. So tombs were reused in that sense. Well, they found one of these ossuaries with bones, uh, I, I don't know if it had bones in it or not, but they found the ossuary that was uh, uh, inscribed in Greek, Alexander, son of Simon. It may be our Alexander uh, from the early church. We don't know. But not that they were uncommon names. They were quite common. So there you go. So we know actually a little bit about Simon uh, of Cyrene and his sons who were prominent in the early church. Does that answer your question? Yes. Thank you, Father. Thanks a lot. There you go. There you go. I mean, his carrying the cross for Christ was a conversion for him, for his sons, and for all the people to whom they preached. There you go. That's why he was chosen. All right. Well, thanks. Whom do whom do we have now, dear voice, in my head? Dave from Cornelius, North Carolina. What can I do for you, Dave? No, Father. You're talking about Senior. As a yes. Lord. In Francophone countries, it's used to address bishops as Monsignor or My Lord. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Monsignor. In English. Yeah, that's My Lord. In English. It's, yes. Yeah. So how about yeah. that? There you go. Yeah. It, it, in, it, in it is interesting. English, it's, uh, Spanish countries, English, too. Monsignor. In English, it's yeah. uh, Mons Monsignor. We get that in, in English. It's Monsignor. That's uh, Somebody asked a Monsignor once, what is a Monsignor? He's a priest that has red buttons on his cassock. <laughs> that was pretty funny. He was a rather humble man, <laughs> this particular Monsignor. People people wonder what Monsignors are. It's it's an honorific that's given to certain people um, for, for extraordinary service, or it is sometimes given to people who have a job uh, that is an important job in the church, and that title might help them in their work. Uh, but it's interesting that bishops in most Latin-speaking countries uh, are monsignors. Um, they're, they're called monsignor. So it's kind of an honorific. He gave the title of, of bishop to someone who wasn't a bishop, not the powers and rights of a bishop. But speaking of powers and rights, Drew's coming up, and he's a powerful prayer. So don't go anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> 